You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, we live. We have a lot to get to today. Kemba said some things out in Tokyo, Japan. While doing a promotional event out in Tokyo for the NBA, Jared Weiss of The Athletic flew out to discuss Kemba's impending free agency with Kemba Walker. Kemba said some things that may lead you to believe that he is, in fact, going to stay in Charlotte, so we'll talk all about that. Also, Paul Biancardi of ESPN joins us today, and I have the interview this time. This is not another Steve Mims debacle. Trying to get the bowl bowl draft profile. This is not one of those things where I'm going to have to go over the comments. We actually do have the audio of Paul Biancardi of ESPN. Great stuff, as always. Just a nice guy and extremely well-informed about all of the high school prospects and therefore a lot of the guys that go to college who do enter the NBA draft is a really good evaluator. So we do have Paul Biancardi again that we will play in the second segment. And also at the end of the show today, we'll update you on the Locked On NBA mock draft. We're on the clock, guys. It's our selection. Minnesota has selected in front of us. In the third segment, the final segment of the podcast, I'll tell you everybody who has been selected, and then I'll tell you exactly what Doug and I are thinking. Doug, not going to be a part of the podcast today, just going to be me for a couple of segments and going to be Paul Biancardi for about 12 minutes or so on the other side of this break once we do finish some of the Kemba Walker talk as well. But I will update you on who we're thinking about taking at number 12, the guys that are available, the guys that have already been taken, and uh, who Doug is trying to strong arm me into selecting. Not like last year with Lonnie Walker when I wanted Shea Gilgis-Alexander, although it seems like we're a little bit more on the same page this season. So I do want to get to the article from Kemba Walker. Interesting stuff. Kemba, again, out there for a promotional event in the NBA, out in Tokyo, Japan. Jared Weiss of The Athletic went over there to talk to him. And a couple of comments that immediately jump out from the article to see exactly where Kimba's mind is, at least right now, with just basically a month to go before he has to decide where he wants to play his basketball in 2019. And Kimba Walker says to Jared, quote, Oh, no question, Charlotte's definitely my first priority. That's where I've been for eight years, and that's all I know. He would go on to say, When I go on my Instagram, I see fans write, Kimba, leave. Kimba, get out of Charlotte. People don't understand When they say you need to go here and win, that winning is not guaranteed anywhere. So it does seem like Kimba recognizes fans want him to go away from Charlotte because at least fans feel that it's for his own good. Whether he agrees with that or not, he does see they doesn't see as fans want him to go because they don't want him anymore. He does see that a lot of fans just want him to go win. And as we've documented plenty of times here on the podcast, I do think it is best for the Charlotte Hornets to move on from this scenario. But it does seem that if it is 100% Kemba's decision, if the Hornets do indeed offer him the full Supermax or something close to it, maybe if they only offer him 190, something like that, it does seem that because of the more monetary value he's going to get and because he does love the city of Charlotte, which I've never questioned. I think he's always been genuine about those comments and he's shared those quite frequently because of those factors, he is going to decide is going to decide to stay in Charlotte. I think I think you can take a lot from these comments. I think Kimba wants to stay. And I've talked about this quite a bit. I, I mentioned it just last week after we found out that Kimba was named to an all NBA team. You know, Kimba 
is not in a position like some of these other stars to turn down $80 million. He doesn't have the endorsements that a Kawhi Leonard, that an Anthony Davis, or even a Bradley Beal, who said money isn't as much as a factor. I, Kimba Walker's different than those guys because he doesn't have the endorsements and he doesn't have the previous contracts that those guys already signed. Remember, Bradley Beal could be up for a Supermax contract if he does get an All-NBA selection maybe next season. But also, the guy's already made above $25 million, million annually for the last few seasons. Kawhi Leonard was just shy of $20 million. Paul George was just shy of $20 million. Anthony Davis making the same amount of money as Bradley Beal, really. And Anthony Davis is going to be eligible for the Supermax because he already was an All-NBA player. So these guys who don't see money as the end-all, be-all are at least enough of a factor to keep them in the situation that they don't really want to be in basketball-wise. It's just different from what Kimba has gone through in his NBA career with not as many as endorsements and only making $12 million annually. It was the biggest steal of a contract maybe out there in the entire NBA among stars. Only $12 million annually for a guy that was able to have a few all-star bids in a row and, again, just got an all-NBA selection. It's just not the same. And so when Kimba, at the end of the regular season, we heard Kimba answer Rick Bennell's question about whether he was still predisposed to staying with the Charlotte Hornets or giving them the biggest benefit of the doubt. He said, I don't know right now. He didn't want to answer it. And so it never meant that he was for sure gone. They just ended the regular season. It was unfortunate. Certainly athletes and everybody gets frustrated when you lose after trying to accomplish a goal that you essentially fail at, and they did. They didn't make the playoffs, and that was something they wanted to do. So you could see how somebody would be dejected enough to not want to answer that conversation. And I feel like we, we gave that a lot of consideration, but now it seems just way different than that. It does seem like he is going to give Charlotte the bigger advantage because if they want him, they have the advantage to offer him the Supermax contract. We did... Talk with Rick Bennell on the wake-up call earlier on 7.30 the game ESPN Charlotte. And I think it's interesting just to see how Charlotte will negotiate with Kemba Walker. Here's what Rick Bennell had to say on how they might negotiate, how they should negotiate. I think that they need to treat him like a partner more than an employee. They need to keep him very involved in the process. And I think some of it, it's not just a matter of what the number is. It's a matter of being able to explain to him if you take X, then we can do Y. And don't make that sound, you know, touchy-feely. You know, come, come with answers. I don't know that Kemba would consider the difference between, you know, you know, 190 and 221 to be, oh, my God, they don't think enough of me. But you, if, you, if you ask him to take less, you better have a damn good explanation for why that has nothing to do with Michael saving money. Here's what Rick Bennell had to say about him potentially staying for a discount. I do not believe that Kemba is going to take a significant discount to stay here. And I think it's time for fans to get their heads around that. So you play both of those comments and Rick Bennell discussing about the $30 million window between 190 and $221 million. And would that be considered a significant discount? You know, $30 million, yes, of course, but you're still able to get $50 million more than what another team would be able to offer you at that point. So are, are you trying to go less than that if you're the Charlotte Hornets because you just don't really want to rebuild? And if that's the case, then it probably is best for just both parties to move on. And Kimma might want to do that too because he feels so insulted. Like if you try to come at him with a $165 million contract or something like that, well, at what point does it become worth it to go seek a better roster? And Rick mentions it there. You have to approach this 
in a way that includes Kimba on the negotiation enough to tell him this is what is going to happen if we pay you this amount of money. And if he wants the full 80, which you would be crazy not to, then that's fine. But you also have to understand how much tougher it would be to add significant value at another roster spot. Because you're going to lose Jeremy Lamb. You're not going to sign him back. I guess you could, right? You could make the money happen and you would go deeper into the luxury tax and it wouldn't be a repeater. So maybe you would do that for one season. But, I mean, you're not signing him to just one season. Either one of these guys, even if you were able to bring back a Jeremy Lamb. And so most likely he's going to be gone either way. Whether Kimba Walker decides to come back to the Charlotte Hornets or not, it seems like Jeremy Lamb's gone. And that was your second best player last year. So if Kimba Walker understands that, okay, the roster's not going to be as good, but give me my money, that's cool. I, this is what you're supposed to do when you get a job. You're supposed to, go, supposed to do the best thing you can possibly do, whatever makes you happy. So he's playing basketball, so check. You know, he, he can go to a different roster and be a lot happier, and I understand that. But for the most part, the dude's playing basketball. He loves Charlotte, so it seems like he's pretty happy. Check. Now, okay, can I make as much money as I possibly can while being in a situation that makes me happy? $80 million is the most I can make, you say? Sure. I'll take all of that. Check. And that's exactly what you have to worry about here. Now, if they were able to sign him, and they give him close to the full max and you know go into the luxury tax after signing him to a big, big boy deal. You know, what are some of the things out there? It seems like Sean Devaney reported that the Houston Rockets and the Charlotte Hornets might be able to get something done, that the Hornets might have interest in taking on a Chris Paul or a Clint Capella or somebody of that nature, maybe an Eric Gordon, like Steve Kyler said last week on the wake-up call. Man, I would really hate taking on that Chris Paul contract. Like, that's pretty crazy. I know Sean Devaney reported that out. And thoughts go out to Sean Devaney, by the way, who's no longer working with the Sporting News. He did tweet that out earlier. So thoughts go with Sean Devaney, who's always done a pretty nice job reporting for the Charlotte Hornets. He has a source within that organization because he's constantly one of the quickest guys on any of the Charlotte Hornets rumors that ever go out there. He's one of the first guys doing it. And he said he still will start reporting with some of the guys that he knows within the NBA because he enjoys doing it. And so that's good to hear. But anyway, Sean Devaney did report that, that the Hornets could be looking to make a deal with the Houston Rockets. I just don't see how it would make a whole lot of sense if you bring in a Chris Paul. Unless you want to get off a of Nick Batum's salary, then by all means, I'll take Chris Paul's contract if it means getting off a of Nick Batum. Look, I, I know I've been singing the song about trying to get off as much money as possible as soon as possible, and I still want to do that. But if they're going to take on Nick Batum and Chris Paul's contract is only one year longer then okay give give me the damn contract I'll take it he's a better player than what Nick Batum is I know he's not healthy all the time I if it's going to be Nick Batum and maybe you want to take on another contract then okay but if you're giving up any assets for that contract then no I don't want more money I don't want I mean my god you know think about how much money you would have allocated to point guards that are 30 years old in 40 million a year for the next at least three with Chris Paul on the roster to a guy that's 29 years old in Kimba and a guy that is well above that in Chris Paul. I, I, I hope they're not going to really do it. And I don't think Mitch Kupchak would do it. We saw some real discipline from Mitch Kupchak at the trade deadline. And while I was disappointed at the time that he didn't get a deal done, I thought Marcus All really would have helped this team 
I thought if you're going to re-sign Kemba, then fine, go at it and bring on Marcus All. Like, I wouldn't have hated that trade, but at least he showed some discipline. And he wasn't like, okay, here's Malik Monk, which, okay, maybe you want to get rid of Malik Monk right now, but at the time, you don't want to gamble and just be reckless with some of your young assets, even if they haven't panned out to that point. You don't want to just be reckless with them. And so he showed some real discipline in a way that I don't think he would do this in a stupid way to go after Chris Paul. I trust Mitch Kupchak, man. I really do. I hope he does something smart this offseason. We'll see exactly what he decides to do with Kimball Walker, as it does seem like, at least with these comments, these mean something to me. These comments aren't just comments that are all throwing them out willy-nilly just because you want to get rid of the interviewer or you've got a bunch of microphones in your face and you're just saying anything to get back to the locker room. That wasn't the case here. These comments mean something to me. And I think most fans, I, th- I think they feel the same way. It does seem like Kemba is going to give the Charlotte Hornets every advantage that they have, especially with the more money that they can offer. And if they do it, then it seems like Kemba would indeed take that contract. Thanks to Untuck It for sponsoring Locked On. If you're looking for a great Father's Day idea, their shirts are specifically designed to look great, untucked, and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code NBA, to get 20% off. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with Paul Biancardi of ESPN joining us on the other side of the break. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. <laughs> now here's the funny part i was listening to this to prep it for the show and um my wife walks in and was like what are you yeah listening right to that's a little scary cool. if, if you don't have the context if you oh, walk yeah. in and you start hearing that yeah that's darth vader i didn't have pants on that didn't help <laughs> yeah, either. No, that's... Um, it's time for more of the locked on hornets podcast Thanks again for joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Again, we are a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As everyone knows, it is NBA draft season. We've had a few draft profiles discussing some of the prospects who could be there at number 12 for the Charlotte Hornets. We'll take a look at all of them now as we bring on Paul Biancardi of ESPN. Uh, The real Cardi B, as my producer would say. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? (laughs) I love that nickname. I'm keeping it. I was about to say, are we the first ones to call you Cardi B? Have you heard that one before? I did not. You guys own that. All right, sweet. My producer is very proud. Doug Branson, the producer slash co-host, he wanted me to call you that. That's what he calls you all the time. So I appreciate it, and I'm glad that we own that a little bit. So feel free to use that and inform anybody that you want. Um, Paul, I remember talking to you a few weeks back about who you might like for the Hornets, and you mentioned Jackson Hayes being a guy you really like at 12, if he is there, to be a part of this franchise. What do you like about Jackson Hayes' game so much? Walker, I think when you look at the draft and you look at the upside in the draft, and that's where you look first, like who has maybe the most upside that you have a chance of getting. And I think when you look at where the Hornets are drafting at 12 and where Jackson Hayes is projected to go uh, somewhere between 10 and 12, he's a guy that I think you have to give a strong look. Uh, you're looking at a seven-footer with a seven-three wingspan tremendous on the screen and roll to the rim game, but he also has a soft touch from 15 to 17 feet right now. So he can make that short little jump shot. He protects the rim very well. 
He's got he's got very active feet. He's very mobile for his size. And in the draft, he's very young. And he's a guy that, in my mind, is going to be a late blossom guy when it comes to the NBA, just like he was in high school. You know, not very many people knew about Hayes until uh, going into his senior year. And we put him in the ESPN 100 uh, towards the back end, more on his potential than his productivity. But he certainly had productive numbers in high school. Of course, he was bigger, taller, longer, and more athletic than everyone else. I, I just love him if, if, if he's available still at 12 for the Hornets because he, he's a high-end NBA prospect. Well, and how surprised were you to see him improve the way that he did after not being ranked as high as some of these guys coming out of high school, and yet now here he is getting drafted in the lottery? How surprised are you to see where he is right now? I'm a little surprised that he's this high, but, you know, once you get a seven-footer in workouts and you get a chance to see his mobility, you get a chance to see a soft touch, his basketball IQ is strong, and so he brings a lot of things to the table that you want on your roster for an NBA team. The shot-blocking ability, the finish ability, the soft touch, good free-throw shooter, the frame that can fill out. I just love how fluid he is for his size. And I think with the NBA game, there's, there's actually more size on the floor because there's, I'm sorry, there's more space on the floor because of the lack of zone defense. And so there's, there's space for him to maneuver. And with his footwork, and I think when he learns how to develop with his back to the basket in terms of a, a post player, but I'll tell you what, he runs rim to rim, block shots. And uh, he reminds me in some ways of a Willie Cauley Stein, Tyson Chandler type of player. You know, the wingspan, the height, and the ability to score the ball. Willie Cauley-Stein was a, a good steal guy for a big man. And, and Jackson Hayes can block shots and, and get some steals at, at his side. Coach James Borrego has discussed wanting some of that rim protection and wanting to draft the center here, at least adding, looking at that pretty convincingly. Bruno Fernando out of Maryland also would kind of fit that bill in case a Jackson Hayes could be gone. Uh, how do you like Bruno Fernando coming out of uh, the Maryland Terrapins uh, program? I loved him in high school, another ESPN 100 guy. Now, Bruno plays with that tenacity that you want in the NBA, and Jackson Hayes has to develop that tenacity. He works hard, Hayes, but, but Bruno Fernando is a guy who he just gobbles up rebounds. He, he's a high-level rebounder. To me, a Clint, Clint Capella-type guy. Most things for him is at the rim offensively, but defensively has the ability to block shots and be somewhat of a paint protector. I like Hayes better to block shots and protect the rim, but I like Fernando much better on the glass. Uh, he's a high-level rebounder, and he's a guy who can score inside, and, and I like his tenacity. It seems like Kevin Porter has been mocked in a couple of different mock drafts to the Charlotte Hornets, Paul. He seems like a guy with some high upside, but the team has already invested in a couple of twos and a couple of threes. How do you like Kevin Porter as a prospect, and how would you like him with Charlotte? Well, I liked him a lot when I saw him at the Nike Hoop Summit. He didn't get selected for this team called the Nike Hoop Summit. They're top players in the country, under 19, from the United States. He did not get selected, but he scrimmaged against those guys, and he was the best player on the court a couple of years ago. His ability to score one-on-one is fantastic. He plays with that chip on his shoulder. Um, been up and down a little bit at USC, and and people aren't sure about what type of you know teammate or locker room guy he is. Uh, I don't have any factual information, but those are just some questions circulating around him at this time. Guy who can score at 6'5", good isolation player. 
terrific in transition. I don't know if that's the need, though, right now for the Hornets. Uh, Nas Little discussed his role being a little different than expected at UNC. I know he made some comments at the Combine. He did work out here with the Hornets not too long ago and discussed that a, a little bit more at length as well. How may have, have his identity or just his role with North Carolina, did that, how did that hold him back a little bit in your eyes, and how would you evaluate his time with North Carolina, how it translates him to the NBA? Well, I thought his time in North Carolina was very good. I mean, you can't just go from a senior in high school walker to an NBA lottery pick. It's not that easy. So he might have needed more time to develop his offensive skill. His physical measurables were there in terms of his strength, uh, his quickness. He's, he's undersized for the power forward position. Uh, he's good size for the small forward position. But he, his skill level and his ability to read the game uh, needs more work. It needs more polish. And I thought, even though he's going to be a lottery-type pick, I would have thought he'd come back and, and really polish up his game uh, on the offensive end. But not doing that, now the scouts have to read into whether or not he is going to be committed to doing that. I, I know Naz Little very well. He's a hardworking guy. It just didn't come together for him in the first year at Carolina. He's a guy you draft and you work on his shot and you work on his ability to read the game. He's not an isolation-type scorer. He's a guy who can score within you know, the framework of an offense. But he's got to develop an outside shot because it's 6'6 six, six plus. You know, the league is full of guys like that. And you look at Miles Bridges, who is a phenomenal athlete, and has little, a great athlete. Um, they're almost similar in, in, in many ways. And um, I think Miles Bridges is going to work on that jump shot as Naz Little will as well. But I, I don't see him as a need or, or a fit. Well, and, and I was going to ask you, a lot of people have, at least maybe I can see some of the comparisons with a P.J. Washington maybe closely resembling a Miles Bridges and maybe wanting to stay away from him in that regard. I know some people kind of question the lateral quickness for him, maybe defensively, but that he is somewhat of a twitchy athlete in some regards. Just what's your evaluation of P.J. Washington and what was a very much improved year in his second year at Kentucky this past season? Yeah, and that's what Naz Little I think, should have done to go back to North Carolina. Now, I know P.J. didn't have the options that Naz does. Naz looks like he's going to be a lottery pick or, or you know, certainly first round. I think P.J. would have been a first-round pick last year, but not as high as he's going to be this year. And when you can show the league that you improved on something just in your sophomore year, I think that's very attractive. Again, P.J., size-wise, uh, not, not really, you know, dominating in terms of his size, but I like his game better than Naz Little from the offensive end. And versatility-wise, he can not only score from the outside or in the mid-range, but he can defend a couple of different positions. I could see him defending a three or a four, as Little does. Little's an excellent switch defender and a better athlete than P.J. I think P.J. Washington is the better offensive player when it comes to those two. And, again, if you're going to play the power forward position, he'd probably play a small ball four if he was drafted by the Hornets. Uh, but his offensive ability is, is better than Little's right now. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker also worked out for the Hornets just a few days ago. Talked with Rick Bennell on the wake-up call earlier this morning, and he discussed just how he was really impressive in the interview process. Of course, a long guy can shoot the ball well. Overall, just again, as we go down the list of prospects, how would you like Nikhil Alexander-Walker in a Hornets uniform? Well, I love him. I, again, I don't think they need him, but I love him because... He's a mature young man with a business-like approach. 
He's, he's improved his game. He works on his game. He reads the game very well, and, and he's a great locker room guy, great teammate. His athleticism uh, shines through at that level. I like everything about Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I, I just think he's going to be a, a really solid pro. Paul, uh, you pay so much attention to these athletes coming out of high school, and you do such a good job of evaluating everybody coming out. Is there a guy that is in this NBA draft right now? I know we talked about Jackson Hayes a little bit and the growth that he had, but is there somebody that you're just completely shocked to see how much he improved in the one or the couple of years in college that they played after what you saw they did in high school? Yeah, Jared Culver. I mean, Culver's made great strides at Texas Tech. You know, people knew about him. He was a regional type of recruit being from Texas and, and Lubbock. And he was hurt a little bit out of high school, uh, you know, in his high school year. So he didn't get a chance to play on the circuit as much. Known as a defender and a driver, really has worked on his game, his body. And he's a guy that, you know, he's going to be a lottery pick. And he, he wasn't a lottery type recruit coming out of high school. So for me, Jared Culver uh, is very impressive, as is Grant Williams right here in Charlotte. You know, Grant Williams was a guy who, you know, he wasn't under-evaluated because everybody saw him play at Providence Day, and he played his senior year for CP3 on the, on the circuit. So everybody had a chance to see Grant Williams play. But with Grant Williams, he was undersized for his position, and he was not in great physical condition. Those two things changed when he went to Tennessee, and, and he went to the right program and to the right coach. What I mean by that is at Tennessee, they were just starting over with Rick Barnes, and Coach Barnes had to find character guys that could physically play in the SEC or guys that had the upside to play in the SEC. So he wasn't getting finished products in his first year. And Rick Barnes is also a fanatic when it comes to strength and conditioning for his players. So Grant Williams, that was his upside. If the body could change, the game would rise. And, and it did under Rick Barnes at Tennessee for a couple of years. And he was under-recruited. Uh, but he wasn't under-evaluated. And, and I'm not surprised that he's a first-round pick now, but going into college, you would have never thought that Grant Williams would have been a first-round pick, let alone SEC Player of the Year. All right, just one more question, Paul. The Gonzaga guys coming out are pretty intriguing to me. Hachimura has been... Uh, mocked to the Hornets, if not for, it looks like maybe he even has a promise maybe from the Minnesota Timberwolves, but also just Brandon Clark. Crazy intriguing to me. It, sound, it sounds like we get evaluations all over the board about Brandon Clark. You know, in our mock draft for the Lockdown Corporation, he went sixth, but a lot of people you know, don't like him until even the 20s just because he can't shoot, but a great defender, but a little small. Just overall, what do you think about Brandon Clark in particular? It seems like he's one of the most uh, fascinating guys out there. He is, and he was a transfer from high school. He went from San Jose State out to Gonzaga. Uh, he's approaching 23 years old, so he's, he's a little bit up there when it comes to draft uh, age. But he's a guy who, as you mentioned, athleticism, leaping ability, the motor, the defense. Some people talk about him being a Michael Kidd-Gilchrist type, um, you know, lacks offense but really gives it to you on the defensive end. There's everything to love about him. I think wherever he goes, Somebody has to be really patient in terms of his offensive development because he has to be able to make more than just layups at the NBA level and, and free throws. He's got to be able to make a shot or be able to make a move eventually. So I think you have to have patience with him. And if you're a team that needs offense, uh, he's not your pick. But if you, need the, if you have a, a strong offensive team and you need that guy to come in with high character, 
great effort and ability and a guy who's not going to be afraid to lock you up every possession and rebound, Clark's your guy. Hachimura, to me, would be a great pick for the Hornets. A true 6'8", power forward, big body, but he's improved his jump shot, Walker. You look at his three-point field goal percentage over the years, it's jumped up at Gonzaga. Stretches the floor, high-end rebounder. He'd be a very good pick for the Hornets. Cardi B, as we'll call him here. Cardi B, we appreciate the time. Thank you. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Once again, that's Paul Biancardi of ESPN joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back, break down a little bit of what Paul had to say, a lot of great stuff about the Charlotte Hornets and who could be a good potential fit. Again, it's the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, Funny. did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay, <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles Leonard. That was Leonard. on me. Good sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot, there. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's, that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. We don't have much time today. I need to get through this. Already went too long in the first two segments, so I need to get through the NBA mock draft update. As I was recording this, as I was putting this podcast together, we got another trade offer, this one from the Locked On Nets podcast, and it's a pretty good offer. And so what the bad news is for you guys is that I don't know if I'm going to be able to run down this anymore because I don't want to give away any guys that I might be interested in. Because this is a trade-down value is what the Nets are offering us. So what they're offering us is that we trade the 12th overall selection in exchange for their 17th selection and their 27th selection or one of their younger players. I think they do have one specific guy in mind that they just might be wanting to trade. It's uh, Desnan Musa. I think that's how you pronounce it. Desnan Musa. I don't know, but really I'm just looking at the 27th overall pick, to be honest with you. So the 12th pick in exchange for the 17th pick and the 27th pick. It's enticing to me, man. Because I think there is a group of players that are still available. Let me run down the list of guys that are still available in this mock draft that we have. So I'll go down the list. The list includes Zion at 1, John Morant to the Grizzlies at 2, RJ Barrett to New York at 3, Lakers Garland at 4, Jarrett Culver, Cleveland, five. Brandon Clark, Phoenix, six. So all you Brandon Clark haters, you don't have to worry about me selecting Clark. He was selected at sixth overall. I didn't even get a shot at him. Kobe White goes to seven at Chicago. DeAndre Hunter, eight to Atlanta. Cam Reddish, nine to Washington. Nas Little, 10 to Atlanta. And Kevin Porter, 11 to Minnesota. And Kevin Porter was a guy that I probably... I mean, he would have been an extremely high consideration for me to select at number 12 if he had just lasted one more spot. But Minnesota takes him instead. So that means that the next guy on your typical mock drafts, the next guy up would be a one, Jackson Hayes, who you just heard Paul Biancardi talk about, a Goga Bitase, Bruno Fernando, Bull Bull, PJ Washington, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Romeo Langford, Rui Hachimura, Sekou Domboya. And there's a lot of guys there. <laughs> so if we were to trade down just five spots, 
you would have maybe one of the four big guys that could be available. Bol Bol, Goga Bitaze, Bruno Fernando, and Jackson Hayes. So we'd go five spots down, but four of the big guys, you know, I would think if, if the Nets are trading up, they've got Jared Allen. I don't know if they're going to be wanting to get another big guy, especially when you pay attention to playoff basketball. They often go smaller ball anyways. Maybe they would want to go with one of the bigger guys. I don't know, but they've got Jared Allen. So you would think maybe they would decide to go a different route. But I think there's enough guys available to where I would highly consider taking that. Like, it's really enticing to me. Yes, you could take the guy that you love out of all of them, or you could take 17 and 27. Somebody's absolutely going to fall within that group to 17 because you're guaranteed. There's just more guys that you like than there are spots between 12 and 17. And maybe one of them falls to 27, and there's some other guys that I think you could really be intrigued by at 27. Let's say you don't go big guy first. Then maybe you could get a Daniel Gafford out of Arkansas. A lot of these guys we haven't talked about as much because we were thinking we're going to pick 12 this whole time, and we are in real life, but at least for this mock draft, maybe a Daniel Gafford out of Arkansas. You could get a Cam Johnson out of North Carolina, Tyler Hero out of Kentucky. And there's a lot of guys there that I think, and Chumo Kiki out of Auburn, who would have been maybe even higher had he not suffered the injury in March Madness. Man, I'm really feeling that. I, I let me let me text Doug. I'm letting you guys in right now. You guys are a part of the war room. We're peeling back the curtain. Let me text Doug. Let me figure it out with him. And we can try to figure out exactly if we want to do this. And we'll let you know tomorrow when Doug joins us back in the war room and you guys can hear more of the negotiation tactics. Today's show is brought to you by Grip6, ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap. And it's a great Father's Day gift to go to Grip6. And they have a special offer for you today at Grip6.com slash L-O-C-K-E. That's Grip6.com slash lock. Remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Locked on Hornets on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and themed collections of shows to help with podcast discovery. You can find everything from comedy to mystery, thrillers and sports. Download Himalaya free at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Hornets. I'm hoping Doug Branson will be able to join me tomorrow. We can talk a little bit more about the trade. Until then, thanks again for joining us on the Locked on Hornets podcast.